Good morning. If we have not met yet, my name is Melanie. Um, I'm part of the leadership here at Real Life Church. I'm married to Stuart. I've got two beautiful boys, Levi and Asher, who are out in kids' work. Um, In church, I look after the young, really. So I look after kids' work and oversee Ben and Charlotte as they lead the youth work. Uh, I look after the kind of bits that we do in our community to be good to our community. And every so often, they let me preach. They let me out. And um, I enjoy that too. So uh, when I'm not doing this, I'm looking after my boys, looking after my family, cleaning my house, cooking, running alpha, doing whatever really to help make Real Life Church work and and our family work really. So this morning you get to hear me um, and I want to talk to you about a story from the Bible that I love, about a woman from the Bible that I love. What I do want to say right up front is when we hear stories from the Bible, whether they're about men or women in the Bible, they're applicable to us, whether we are male or female. So this story happens to be about a woman, but whenever I hear a story about a man, what I'm trying to draw out of it is any Anything that I think God would be saying to me or God would be wanting to communicate to me. So guys, I don't want you to be sitting there thinking, all right, this is a sermon for the women about a woman. This is a sermon about a woman in the Bible who met with God and had her life transformed by him. And I'm sure if you're sitting there, you would quite like to have encounters with God where he transforms your life. I don't know if any of you have met my friend Gemma yet. Uh, she's sitting here. Um, you can just wave. For, uh, for the people on the podcast, sorry, you can't see how I describe her. She's very young looking, dark hair, usually wears quite a lot of purple, looks about 15, but is in fact 30, which is so unfair, isn't it? Awful. <laughs> My friend Gemma loves purple. If you know her, if you visit her home, what you will see is purple pretty much everywhere. I texted her last night and I said, Gemma, could you rustle me up a bag of purple stuff? Could you find me some t-shirts, cushions, knowing that she'd just be able to walk around her house, open her wardrobe and probably rustle me up two bin bags full of stuff. So this is a small selection of the Gemma purple stuff. We've got blankets, there are some pajamas up here, pillows, scarves, neck pillows, we've got hoodies, an array of purple. And I don't know if you know much about purple, but when you read the Bible, purple's quite a significant colour in the Bible. It's, it, it's in and around the Bible, and in my story, it's in and around my story. You see, purple at the time, at Jesus' time, was a, a difficult colour to make and dye, so it made it rare. It made it the kind of colour that noble people wore, or kings, or emperors. It, it had a kind of regal quality to it because it was a difficult colour to dye. The, the town that we're looking at in this story, they were known to be a place where you could get good purple. You could get it well dyed and and well coloured. And so people of money really would wear purple. So Gemma, prophetic people of money would wear purple. And in the Bible, you'll find if you read the descriptions of the temple or you read the descriptions of the high priest, they're often covered in purple. There's purple everywhere in the temple. And, And I'm assuming if the temple, if heaven is something like a little bit 
a look of the temple has those kind of regal qualities about it. I'm assuming there'll be purple there too, so you will be right at home in heaven. Um, so if you've got a Bible with you, I'd love you to turn to Acts 16, 11 to 15. If you don't have your Bible, don't worry. So I'm going to read it out to you. Um, I'm actually reading it from the message, so uh, all the best following along in the ESV or NIV or whatever you're reading, all right? I am... Um, I'm not sure how to pronounce a couple of these places. I checked with Stuart this morning. He told me, and then a million things have happened, and it's vanished from my head. So please don't come to me afterwards and tell me that I mispronounced the name of the towns. I already know I have, all right? Before I even begin, I am mispronouncing the names of these places. So Acts 16, 11 to 15, and I'm reading from the message. Uh, It says, Putting out from the harbour at Troas, we, so the we in this story is Paul, Timothy, Luke and Silas. So we, Paul, Timothy, Luke and Silas, made a straight run for Samothrace. The next day we tied up at New City and we walked there to Philippi, the main city in that part of Macedonia and even more importantly, a Roman colony. We lingered there for several days. Uh, I love that word, lingered. That's what I do in Costa, I linger. We lingered there for several days. On the Sabbath, we left the city and we went down along the river where we'd heard there was to be a prayer meeting. We took our place with the women who had gathered there and talked with them. One woman, Lydia, was from... This was the one that I said to Stuart, please help me with this one. Time... Atara, Tiatara, and a dealer in expensive textiles. Every other text says a seller of purple goods. Known to be a God-fearing woman, as she listened with intensity to what was being said, the master gave her a trusting heart and she believed. When the message refers to the master, it's talking about Jesus. After she was baptized, along with everyone in her household, she said in a surge of hospitality, If you're confident that I'm in this with you and believe in the master truly, come home with me and be my guest. We hesitated, but she wouldn't take no for an answer. I love that. What a woman. She wouldn't take no for an answer. This morning, I want to talk to us about what we know from that text. So the things when we read that text and we can go, yep, we know that. So we know where she's from. We know her name. The things we know. I want to Go with us and suppose a few things. So there are a few things that are hinted on that we can suppose. Things like, uh, there's no reference to her husband, so it's likely she was a widow. So Because if, if Paul had gone to a group of them and the men had been there, he would have spoken to the men. So we, we can suppose some of those things. And then I really just want to encourage us. I want to encourage us as people of God to be bigger, to be more. I, I really want you to leave this morning thinking, man, I feel ready to go into my world now with Jesus. I feel pumped up and excited and encouraged. So these are some of the things that we know, some of the things that we suppose, and some of the things I just want to encourage you. So it'll be a nice mishmash of all of those things. What we know is that Lydia was from, uh, originally from hmm, Thyatira, but was living in Philippi, which is a Roman colony. 
She was probably Greek. So loads of the commentators would say she was probably Greek, although it doesn't say that in the passage. It says where she was originally from, and it says where she was living. And some of you sitting in this room are like that. You were originally from somewhere else, but you live here now. So you could save yourself like me. So I was born in Colwyn Bay in Wales. I then spent most of my growing up in Basingstoke in Hampshire, and then we moved to St. Neots, and then we moved to Bishop Stortford, and then we moved here. So although I live here, I love Sutton, I, I think we will be here for years and years and years establishing a great, big, beautiful church here, I'm not actually from here. My accent doesn't sound like I'm from here. But I don't even know where my accent sounds like I'm from, to be honest, but it doesn't sound like I'm from here. My boys sound like they're from here. And you might be sitting in this room feeling the same. You might think, actually, I'm not actually from here. I love here and I feel attached to here. But when I open my mouth and speak, I don't sound like I'm from around here. And I don't sound like I necessarily belong here, but this is where I am. And I think Lydia found herself in that position in a place where she was not from, but actually where she was. And where she was really when God encountered her. Sometimes we end up in all sorts of funny places and we don't even know quite how we ended up there. Think, how did we end up in Sutton Coldfield? I never even heard of it when they said, would you look at starting a church there? How do we end up there? Don't know. What I do know is the places that you end up are often the places where God just wants to encounter you. God just wants to do something with you. And we don't know how we got here. We just know that God got us here. We just know that God has something to do here. We know in being here that God's got something to do with us that's special in Sutton Coalfield. She was a dealer in purple cloth. What it meant was she would sell this kind of gear. So, you know, like this. Like, Would you like to buy my purple cloth? I could sell all of this. You've got enough purple, let's be honest. I'm sure Pete would like a little bit of blue in the mix. So could, we could siphon off a little bit of purple. She was a dealer in purple cloth. So it means she had a trade. It means she did a job. It meant that she worked hard. It may have meant that she actually had to, or it may have just been her family business or the business that her and her husband had. Or, but whatever, she worked hard. She had a trade. She had a job. Um, I just wanted to, I know sometimes in the Bible we can see things that we go, oh, that's really spiritual, that's really amazing. Sometimes we don't view work like that. Sometimes we don't look at it and go, wow, that's, that's really something amazing, that's really something special. And I just wanted to say to you, if you work and you work hard, well done. It's something I think that God ordained right from the beginning and I think it's something that God honours throughout the Bible, and your work will look different depending on who you are. You might volunteer, you might get paid, you might be raising your children, you might be a teacher, a lawyer, a doctor, you might be doing all manner of things, but whatever you do, be assured that God sees you, that God knows you, and that he honours that. I think Lydia's, in Lydia's story, you find out little bits of information about her that you think, actually, in order for us to understand about God, we didn't really need to know that, but for some reason it's in there. For some reason it's important to God, the things we put our hands to, the things that we do. For some reason he has an interest in, in, in all of our life and what it looks like. For Lydia, she was a dealer in purple cloth, and it would seem that she did that job and did that job well. 
it would seem that, that she was a hard-working woman. I don't know that I've met a woman that's not hard-working, to be honest. So um, we honour you as women who work hard in whatever you do, whether you get paid for it or don't get paid for it, whether you're selling expensive cloth or you're just feeding your family and clothing them, is something that God honours. She was at a prayer meeting. Now, I'm sorry to have to bring this up, but, you know, I've got to. She was at a prayer meeting. I said to Stuart, that is like a gift from heaven, isn't it? She was at a prayer meeting. I want to say something really obvious. In the Bible, there are various accounts where people gather together to pray and God showed up and God did something miraculous. One of the reasons we meet together and pray together as a local church is because we firmly believe that God will meet with us and do something miraculous. We firmly believe that in those places and in those times, we're giving God options and opportunities to engage with us, to meet with us. We're giving us opportunities to meet with him. Is I think it's the one meeting that we do that's not about us. It's all about him. So in a way, I, I don't gain loads from it. I do, but it isn't. I don't get fed there. No, one, no one's given me jacket potatoes with chili con carne on the top. I don't get to have a nice chat with everyone. Do get a nice cup of tea and some biscuits because, you know, it's our home. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't open the door and that not happen. Um, but basically, we're there to meet God. And if you read stories in the Bible and read stories of revivals, they often began in prayer meetings. It is one of my, it's one of my secret little dreams that, well, it's not going to be secret now, is it? Because the World Wide Web's going to know. But I, I actually think, I read stories of revivals because I just love them. Quite a lot of them seem to begin in some kind of gathered prayer meeting. And I always think, wouldn't it be amazing if we were in our home and suddenly God swooped in and, and the roof started to move. And our neighbours started coming round and going, oh, your roof's shaking, what's going on? And people started being laid out on the floor and, and being saved because God just miraculously showed up. That, those are the kinds of stories that happen in revivals. Lydia was at a prayer meeting. And you might look at it and go, well, okay. But at that prayer meeting, Lydia was saved, her household was saved. Her whole world turned around because she showed up, because she said, I'll make time. And it's, it's such a simple thing sometimes. Sometimes we miss out on the things of God because we're too busy doing the things of me. Sometimes we miss out on the things of God because we literally are just too tired and we just think, I just can't do this tonight. Sometimes we miss those opportunities where he is waiting and wanting to pour out on us where he is just, he's got heaven held back saying, just hang on a minute till they get there now. And I, and I do believe we've had times like that in our prayer meetings. And I do believe we're supposed to have more of that. So if I'm honest, Stuart and I have always said in our prayer meetings, we want to pray with people that want to pray. So we've never given it the hard push because we don't want to. We want to be there with people who want to pray and who are serious about really just getting fixed on God. What I will say is those are the kinds of things that God just loves to rush in on and God just loves to encounter us in. So Lydia was a woman who put herself 
in places where she could encounter God, in places where she could feel him rushing, in places where she could hear apostles sharing teaching. She just put herself around those kinds of things. She made time for it, space for it, a priority of it. She was a businesswoman, so she would have been busy. It's likely she had kids. It's likely she had a household of people to look after, but she will have carved out time for it. For Lydia, it literally saved her life, carving out time for God. So she met Paul, Timothy, Luke, and Silas. So these guys are like the big guys. You know, they're like the apostles. They're like, you know, They're the big guys in the Bible that you read about and go, whoa, what must it have been like to hear a sermon from Paul? Or, you know, what what must it have been like to chat with Luke, who wrote Luke's Gospel and the book of Acts? What must it have been like to be around these kind of guys who had either first-hand or second-hand encountered the risen Jesus? What must it have been like to hear their stories For Lydia, what it says about her is she listened and listened intently or intensely or she was focused. So it literally meant that she kind of shut everything out and she zoned in. You know, those kind of times when you're just totally fixed. And I get it sometimes when I'm reading my Bible, there's a story that grabs me and I just kind of feel sucked in and everything else goes quiet. The fact that my kids are kind of climbing on me and there's Cheerios spilt on my Bible and, you know, it it all goes quiet. And I think, oh, this is really good. It said that Lydia was listening like that. So she was really intent on meeting God. She was really intent on hearing him. It said of Lydia that she was God-fearing, so she was probably a Jew, It doesn't say she was a Jew, but she probably was. So she was God-fearing, but she'd not encountered Jesus yet. She'd not had an encounter with Jesus crucified. She'd not heard that good news that he died in her place for her sin. But that she was a Jew, that she had a knowledge of God, that she knew stories about God, that that she would have been aware of God, that she was God-fearing, but not saved. And you might even be sitting here thinking, well, I do know stuff about God, but I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know Jesus personally. I don't know him crucified. I don't know him dying in my place for my sin. I don't know that, but I do know there's a God. I do know there's someone out there. I do know that this can't all be an accident. I do know something of God. Lydia was in that kind of position and she listened intently. It's partly why we do stuff like Alpha in this church because we want to help people listen intently to what God has to say. We want to help people get into a position where they can say well I think there might be something out there but I'm not sure what it is and then ask their questions so that they can hear some teaching and go Oh, what what kind of truth is in that? What can I get out of that? What can I take from that? What I will say is that is not what makes people saved. So Alpha Courses, preaching the gospel, telling the truth about Jesus isn't what makes people saved. You can't do an Alpha Course and become a Christian because you've heard enough information. The story of Lydia says that there's a moment when she is listening, when she is investigating, that the master opens her heart. 
That's what it means to be saved. For Lydia, that's what it means. If you are sitting here and you are a Christian, you did not do that yourself. You did not learn enough, read enough, research enough to be able to convince your dying dead soul that it needed to be raised to life. What happened is you investigated, you asked questions, you looked at it, and God opened your heart so that the words went straight in, so that you could be saved. Everything about salvation belongs to Jesus, everything. There's nothing that belongs to us. We're not clever enough, capable enough. We're far too sinful, far too selfish for that to ever be ours. That belongs to God. And what happened with Lydia is she was investigating, she was listening, she was at the prayer meeting, she was in the right places, but God opened her heart. If you're struggling to encounter God, if you're struggling to meet with God, if you're thinking, I know all this stuff, what you probably need is a heart encounter. You probably need God to open your heart. You probably need to stand in his presence and say, okay, God, something's up with my heart. It's not my head, it's my heart. There's a, there's a disconnect. We sing songs, and and I love some of the songs, but we do sometimes sing songs that say, I found Jesus type of idea, which I agree with because I did find Jesus, but the reality is he found me. He searched for me. He died for me. He stretched out his arms for me. He knew my name. He knew where I lived. He He knows everything about us, and he saves It's such a powerful, releasing message. It helps us when we are reaching out to other people, when we're trying to tell people what the gospel's like, because actually he does the job. She positioned herself, and she was eager, ready, and wanting to learn and listen, but God opened her heart, and God explained to her the gospel through Paul, through Luke, through Silas, through the guys that were standing there, but God opens her heart up. Do you know, Lydia is the first recorded person to be saved in Europe. I don't know what you think about being a part of Europe or, you know, what you're going to vote on or not, you know, I won't open that kind of words. She was the first convert in Europe and she's a woman. The fact that, that God even puts that in the Bible, the fact that it's even there, is, is because God loves to save men and women. God loves, delights himself in cutting through cultural boundaries, through gender boundaries. Nothing is too hard for him. So in a culture where actually even the testimony of a woman wouldn't be seen with anywhere near the same weight as the testimony of a man, God often decides to highlight women and say, actually, I'll use her story. It's encouraging for us as women, I do think, that actually when God looks at us, what he sees is men and women that he loves to save and loves to be in relationship with. He never looks at us and sees gender, jobs, success, failure. He sees people that he longs to be in relationship with, rich and poor, men and women, young and old. In a nice way, he's not fussy. He wants a people to be in relationship with. And if you, like Lydia, are willing to listen, willing to be open, he'll have you. He'll have whoever is saying, I I want this. I want to know you. 
She was then baptized. If you are a believer, the next thing for you is to be baptized. I'm sorry if I keep banging that drum, but it's in the Bible. Jesus did it. Let's be those who do what the Bible says and what Jesus does. So on Easter Sunday, we've got a baptism service. I literally cannot wait. It's just going to be a riot. It's going to be the best fun. So Sam and Ness are being baptized, Mark is being baptized, and Matthew is being baptized. If you haven't told me yet you want to be baptized, hurry up. Time is running out. We've ordered a baptism pool. We're going to get believers in the pool, get them soaking wet, get them out again as a visual reminder that they've died to all their sin and they've come back to life. It says here that Lydia was converted, so God opened up her heart, and then she was baptized. It just must have been by the river. So they were like, actually, let's do it now. Let's get you in the river. Let's get you baptized. And while we're at it, seeing as your family and all your slaves and all your servants are getting saved too, let's get them in. It just must have been amazing. And what we want to do on that Easter Sunday is similar to that. We want to say, you've been saved, you've been saved, you've been saved. Let's get you in the pool. What I love about this particular one is... I think Lydia's story was that as she was saved, the ripple effect was so was her family. So it seems that she was saved and then her household was converted. And, and in those times, a household would be your kind of family, would be the people who worked for you, would be your slaves as well. So it would be your, your entire household. We've got no idea how big that was for Lydia. It could have been five people, ten people, twenty people. We've got no idea. What is clear is that the impact of the gospel in her life rippled out. God saved her and it went do 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 which is just lovely. And I look at some of the stories around here and I think they just look so biblical. So Dave and Haley and Matt, their story to me just looks so beautiful. So Dave knows God, has had encounters with God, commits his life to God. His wife Haley starts to encounter church, starts to encounter God. She commits her life to God. Their son starts to ask questions. He's looking around going, what is this? He commits his life to God. Uh, Those stories are the stories that I just long for. I just think, yes, God, they're the ones, aren't they, that we read in the Bible and go, yes, please. And I know some of you are sitting here And your husband is not saved, your wife is not saved, your mum is not saved, your dad is not saved, your kids are not saved, and you are longing for it. You're thinking, with my whole being, I want that ripple effect. I want want to see those kind of stories in my life. I would say, hang on in there. Because those are the kinds of stories that God so loves to tell. He so loves to tell them. And we can feel like we're pleading with God, trying to change his mind. We're not. He loves those stories. That is what salvation is supposed to do. It's supposed to touch down in my life and then go do-do-do-do-do and touch down in the lives around me. It's supposed to have an impact. We're not supposed to teach on evangelism, run evangelism training. We're supposed to be saved and it goes do-do-do-do-do. That's... That's the way it works. And I think, I I know because in the DNA of our church, we've got those stories. 
So I know with, with Sam and Ness, like, like we've got, we already have those stories happening here where I think, I know that's in our DNA now. I know God's given us a taste for it. I know he's shown us it's possible. So now we just have to keep believing that that's what he's going to do. So if you're sitting there and you're nearest and dearest and not saved yet, raise your eyes to him who does that kind of stuff all the time. If you're thinking, I have been waiting years, hang on in there. Take another breath and go, all right, God, let's go again. You did it with Lydia. You did it with Dave and Haley. You did it with Sam and Ness. Me next, please. It's why I read stories on revival. I go, you did it over there. You did it over there. Me next, please. Our place next, please. So can I encourage you to keep praying, keep asking God for that. Later in Bible history, we discover that there was a church planted in the town where Lydia was. There's no record of Paul planting that church. There's no record of any of the other apostles going back to that place. But in Revelation, they make reference to a church in, I've got to say that word again, Tyatira. They make reference to a church in the place where Lydia was from. And you think, we can jump to all sorts of conclusions, but the believers there were Lydia and her household. So was it her? Was it her who actually got to start a church? Was it her who actually got to share the gospel? We don't know the rest of her story. We don't know the rest of our stories. What we do know is when you put yourself around God, amazing things happen. We don't know what it looks like for us in five years' time, 10 years' time, 15 years' time around here. What we are hoping and praying is that a beautiful, large, influential, reproducing church is still here. That we have outgrown this building many times over. That we have to have a purpose-built building in this place because no venue can hold us. That we have coffee shops, that we have play barns, that we have jobs that we're, we're making possible for people in Sutton, that we have works amongst the poor, that we're doing all manner of things in the community. What we're hoping is that by the time we hit heaven, God will be telling stories about our church. He'll be saying, ah, oh, remember that one in Sutton Coalfield? And that we will hear of the the ripple effects of what we've spent our lives doing. What I imagine with Lydia is that transformation of herself and her household then transformed the whole place that she lived. The ripple effect just kept on going. What I would love here is that actually whatever we put our hand to here, the ripple effect of it just keeps going. That we just keep hearing the stories, that we just keep seeing the things that we think that has to be our God that has to be him at work in Sutton, that there will be churches that will go out from this place. Some of you are sitting there because you know Sutton is where you're supposed to be for now, but actually there's a church in your heart that you will start, that we will equip you here, we will give you money, people, we will help you, support you, but you will go and start your own. And there will be a ripple effect that goes out from this See, when you give of yourself to God, the effect is way bigger than when you give of yourself to you. So when you give God your money, when you give God your time, when you give God your talents, the ripple effect, the lastingness of it is massive. 
We'll be in heaven and there will be stories of people going, this is because so-and-so, so-and-so did this, this and this. And you will have no idea on earth. You'll have no idea of the effect that your life has had. Let me encourage you, whatever you do for Jesus, it is growing, it is multiplying, it is lasting. It is the best way to give of yourself. It is the best way to give of your, of your all is to give it to God because it will outlast you, because it will, your life will have point and purpose. So if you're not saved in this room, there are many reasons to get saved. The first one being your sin needs it, because if you face God with your sin, you won't be able to stay in his presence. If you face God with Jesus, if you're washed clean by him, if you're free, if you're forgiven, you can stand in the presence of a holy God and you can live with him forever. It's an amazing ticket into the place and presence and purposes of God. But it's more than that. If you give of yourself to Jesus, your life matters in ways that it will never matter if you give yourself to you. Lydia's life suddenly turned around. She had point, purpose, There were things that she needed to do, people that she needed to influence. God took a hold of her and then just used her. And women of God, particularly, I want to stir you and encourage you. That's what God has for you. He has for you that he would take hold of you and make good use of you on the earth. He has for you that he would take hold of you, remind you who you are and and set you loose. It's an amazing thing to be loved by him and be on mission with him. She was hospitable. If you like to have people in your home, if you like to cook, if you like to bake, if you like to have people around for tea, coffee, if you like to go to other people's houses and do that, do not see that as a small, insignificant gift. It is a beautiful gift. It's why we serve nice tea and coffee here. It's why we take time and effort and energy and money into making sure our tea, coffee, our food, our our stuff is good because God cares about all that stuff. For some people, it will be part of their journey into knowing God, will be experiencing the generosity, the goodness of God's people through hospitality. And you might think to yourself, wow, all I do is bake a bit, cook a bit, have a few people around, set an extra place at my table. Those things matter. To the person who gets to take the seat, they matter. To the person who gets to walk in on their own, feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm in church, I don't know anyone. To the person who gets offered a drink, a biscuit, a a nice smile, a, a welcome, it matters. It sometimes is the difference between people staying in a church or leaving the church. And you might think to yourself, really? Really? It sometimes is the difference in a person getting into a place where they can encounter God properly. In Alpha, I know it to be definitely true. Good meals enable people to relax and talk and, and just enjoy. They help us. And heaven, when you read descriptions of heaven, there's loads of descriptions of feasts and banquets and food. It's something that God loves and delights in. I don't think it needs to be cordon bleu, three course, you know. I, I think you can have people around for a slice of cake and a cup of tea and it'd be really good. I think you can have people around for a baked potato and a tin of beans and it'd be really good. I think it's about getting people round your table, round your house, in your lives. It's about inviting people in that, that really need a place. 
at a table, that really need a place in a family, that really need a place in a home. It really makes a difference. So I want to say to you, if you're hospitable, stir it up. If you're not, get yourself around people who are and learn. If you say, well, I'm a rubbish cook, I'm, rubbish, uh, I'm not very good at keeping my house decent, I wouldn't want to invite anyone around, learn how to do it. It's an excellent skill. If you are a young man or a young woman, learn Learn how to cook, to bake. One day you'll have wives, husbands, friends. You, you want to be able to whack out a good meal, put on a good cake and say, come round, have some popcorn with me, have some pizza with me, come and eat with me. It's such a good gift. So if you're good at it, stir it up. If you're rubbish at it, learn it. It's a brilliant gift to have. And lastly, she was persuasive. So the apostles, they're so important, aren't they? They're just wanting to crack on with their mission. They're like, we're on a mission. We're, we're on to the next thing. Lydia, you're saved. Your household's saved. You're all baptized. Brilliant. Job done. She's like, please come back to my home and have some cake with me. They're like, seriously, we're apostles. We're so busy. We've got loads to do. We've got the next village to save. We've, we're on mission. Please come home and eat with us. Please come and spend time with us. And it said that Paul and the other guys changed their minds. They went, all right then. She must have said, you should see my bacon. You should see my bacon. Um, And so that they changed their minds. I honestly think when I read this story, I think that is a persuasive, being persuasive is a gift that God uses and loves In women, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. You can literally change the course and direction of people's lives. You can steer your children. You can direct people. You can woo people, win people. It's a really powerful gift. Use it well. And I would say with Lydia, she used it. She wanted more time with these guys. I would have thought that she got them back to her house and then said to all her mates, come round. We've got this guy here who knows Jesus and knows him crucified. And he, he's awesome and he's a great teacher. Come round. And she probably would have got some cake out and been like, let's get some tea and coffee on. Let, let's get these guys round the table. Let's have a bit more time with them. She was persuasive. There is something about, I think, the gospel that, that, that lends itself to persuasive people. And I would say, if you know that that's in you, if you're, if you're someone who wins people, if you're someone who can change things, start asking God how you can use that for the kingdom. So one of the things that I, I just love to woo people, I love to win people. I, I, just, I just do. I've always liked it as a kid. Like my mum would say, oh, there she is. Like I, I would give people cake and just, I, I'd love to get all, all the friends in our street round. And, you know, I just, I just love to bring them in. And, and it's just something that I just enjoy doing. And I think it's something that you can really use powerfully in the kingdom. I think it's something that Lydia used to to gain more out of the people of God. I, I think it's a great gift. I think it does exist a lot in women. And I think it's something that can be misused and it can be manipulative. And I think you have to really keep, I have to keep a check on it. I, I say a dangerous thing. I say to my husband, if you ever see me being manipulative and controlling, will you please tell me and tell me hard? 
Like, like tell me how horrible it is, which is, you know, it's not nice because he does tell me. But I think it's a gift that I want to keep in check. I want to be persuasive, but not manipulative. I want to be able to persuade people to be more, persuade people to go for more, persuade people to engage with God. I want to be able to persuade people to be more than they currently are. So that's Lydia's story. She positioned herself to encounter God, but had her heart opened by him. The effect of that on her life was it transformed her people. It transformed everyone around her. And what we know from Revelation is the lasting effect is a church was established. People were saved. It, it, it just You feel like hers is a story that is one just rich with the grace of God, mercy of God, the goodness of God. The woman who sold purple cloth and went about her business encountered a real and living God who had a lasting impact on her life. So I'd like you to, if you're a woman, I'd like you to stand now because I would just like to pray for you. So if you're a woman, I'd like you to stand.